Welcome to the Landmark Apostolic Church Podcast. We hope that this message inspires you and brings impact to your life. Enjoy the message. Your Bibles, turn with me to Psalms chapter 22. We often think of David, probably one of the very first people that we ever learned about in Sunday school. One of the most memorable tales, we think of the little shepherd boy tending the flock, guarding the, the sheep as a good shepherd would against the wild beast, killing the bear, killing the lion. Takes a sack lunch out to his brothers who are supposed to be on the battlefield, and yet he finds him hiding behind the rocks, and the next thing you know, David is stepping out onto the battlefield young, unseasoned in so many ways, creates for himself a place in the history of the Bible like none other. When he takes that rock and that sling and brings down Goliath, we love those stories. The beloved king of Israel, never been anyone quite like him great leader, great warrior, great king. We think of him him in all of those ways, but seldom do we think of him as one who would speak prophetic words. But David was more than once used by the Lord to speak words that were prophetic. And in Psalms chapter 22, we find that very thing taking place. I'm going to skip around a little bit. Verse 1, David says, My God, my God, why hast thou forsaken me? Why art thou so far from helping me and from the words of my roaring? Verse 7 picks up and says, All they that see me laugh me to scorn, they shoot out lip." shake the head, saying, He trusted on the Lord that he would deliver him. Let him deliver him, seeing he delighteth in him. Verse 14 says, I am poured out like water. All my bones are out of joint. My heart is like wax. It's melted in the midst of my bowels. My strength is dried up like a potsherd. My tongue cleaveth to my jaws. And thou hast brought me into the dust of death for dogs have compassed me the assembly of the wicked have enclosed me he says this incredible prophetic word here that's pinned down they pierce my hands and my feet I may tell all my bones they look and stare upon me they part my garments amongst them cast lots upon my vesture there's a lot of scripture that David wrote that is very inspiring. We go oftentimes to the Psalms to find inspiration and uplifting portions of scripture that feed us. This is not one of those great times of victory for David, obviously. But David is in a tough spot. His situation, I'm really not sure on, but from the sound of it, it sounds bad. 
Sounds like he's in a bad spot. He sounds to me like he feels abandoned by his God. And he feels closed in and hemmed in by his enemies. Not a good place to be if you're an individual who's depending and trusting upon the Lord. But obviously, as we know now from the history that we have from the Bible, David survived and came out victorious, lived a very long life. That's a, it's at the end of this long life that he begins to look back, reflect. You know, I just spoke with somebody a little while ago, and they said that they were speaking to an elder relative and all the stories that were being told. I said, well, you need to pass those stories on. Oh, I am. They said, I, I am. You know, we get to a certain age in life where we, a lot of things that meant a lot to us in the past, they just kind of fade away. But there are certain things that we never forget till the day we die. David's nearing the end of his life, and he's reflecting and thinking back on the important things, the memories that meant a lot to him, the, the people that were there for him. 2 Samuel gives us a little bit of Scripture, chapter 23, verse 1. Now, these be the last words of David. David, the son of Jesse, said, And the man who was raised up on high, the anointed of, God of, of the God of Jacob, and the sweet psalmist of Israel said, <laughs> He's talking at the end of his life, and he's looking back over his life, and he begins to realize that there were some people that need to be mentioned. He has a deep affection, a deep affection for them. I hope that at the end of my life, somebody remembers me, and I've inspired some people to continue to live for the Lord. I just want to preach to you a message that I've entitled A Drink from the Well of Bethlehem. A Drink from the Well of Bethlehem. You may be seated today. There was nearly a thousand years that went by between David and the birth of Christ. It's a long time. I've been alive for 50-some years. It seemed like I've been on the earth quite a long time, but I begin to think about the history of our nation, how old our nation is still, comparatively speaking, very young compared to a lot of the other nations that are on the face of this planet that we all live on. I began to think about the history of civilization and how that goes back and just continues. And Brother Jones so eloquently taught a lesson this morning about where it all began, and the years that it takes to go back all that that way. There's a lot of years that have passed, and sometimes uh, the days seem to linger on, and other times you look back and it seems like they're gone in a blink of an eye. Typically, if you're having a good time, uh, your day will just fly by. If you're having a rough day, it tends to drag on, doesn't it? It goes by fairly slow. David's looking back over his life, and he's thinking about the people that were important to him, the people that were there for him. 
He settles in on a certain group, a trio of men were called his mighty men, the men who stood with him when he was under attack from his own king. Not being willing, he was able, but not being willing to take the life of King Saul, David went on the run, and when he was running from King Saul for his very life, he had some people that sided with him. Kind of think about what this meant. Some of these men understood that basically they would be looked at as treason. What they had done, who they were serving. It wasn't just David's life that was going to end, but if they were loyal to him, if they sided with him, their life also was in jeopardy, but it did not matter. And they stood with David and they ran with David and they hid with David and they protected David, and David remembered these great men of old that were there when he needed them most, men who would not run at the sight of a fight, men who would be willing even to give their own life to protect his very life. Three of them stand out especially, although more were named, but three I want to talk about this morning. Adino. Dino killed 800 men with a spear in one battle. That is one dude you do not want to mess with right there. I mean, I thought when I was a kid, uh, if I could, you know, do a high kick, I, I can remember one time being with some friends of mine that were all into karate and all that stuff, whatever whatever it was at, at the time. And and they, they taught me a few things, and I... I can remember watching my friend down in his basement. He had one of these bags way up high, and he, he would jump in the air and kick that thing. And I thought, I can do that. Landed flat on my back. <laughs> All the air knocked out of me. Not so cool. <clears throat> Adino was not somebody that you wanted to toy with. Eleazar who stood his ground against the Philistines when the rest of the army fled until the Bible tells us that his hand claved to his sword. They had to literally pry, and his hand was not his cold, dead hand that they were prying. It was his, his very much alive hand, but his hand was, was stuck to his sword. He had held on, he had fought, and he had won this battle, even though everybody else around him had fled. He stood his ground and took on the Philistines and won the battle and slew each and every one of them until the Bible said that he could not let loose of the sword that was in his hand. Third I want to mention today is Shama. You've heard the story of the warrior who the Philistines were chasing them through the field of beans decided to stop, and he turned around and single-handedly saved that entire field of beans. You've heard the, the preachers preach on it. I've preached on it. Why? Why? What was so important about a field of beans? Well, today it's a field of beans. Tomorrow it's your front door. You better draw a line out there somewhere far off before it gets into your house, my friends. You listen to me. Don't you let the devil come knocking at your front door. You keep him on the other side of the street. You keep him far enough away from you that he can't get up to your house or in your yard or in your property at all. Inside of my Bible here, I've got something written down that I wrote down years and years ago that was spoken by elder brother Bill Coltharp, he said, I'd rather make heaven by a mile than miss it by an inch. 
Don't you play games with heaven and hell. They are very real places, and each and every one of us is going to either go to one or the other. Don't you toy around with eternity. Friend, I want to make heaven by a mile. I don't want to miss it by an inch. God, if you ask me to do something, I want to do it. I don't want to question you. I want to make my salvation something that is an election sure thing. We all know those nail-biter elections. You wake up in the middle of the night and go check the stats. Oh, it's close. It's closer. They're only a percentage, small percentage away, and you wonder who you're going to wake up having been elected as president or governor or whatever it might be, whatever the election calls for. You don't know. Those are nail-biters. Listen, don't be a nail-biter when it comes to heaven and hell. Let your salvation be something that you are sure of, that you know for sure that you, have, uh, that you are going to make it. Don't you toy around with those things. Stood his ground, defended a field of beans. All three of these men had their individual victories by all measures. They were heroes. In the mind of their king, he set them up on a pedestal, and he highly respected them. There's one particular event that ties the three famous soldiers together in David's mind, and it was a time when they defied death to bring him a drink of water. But it wasn't just any drink of water. It was a drink of water from a very special place. Now. How many water drinkers do I have in here? Okay, we got lots of water. You go out to a restaurant, and, and they look at you, and they say, what do you have today? We serve this and this, and we've got Pepsi products. We've got Coke products. We've got, we got all. We've got iced tea, and you just say, I'll take water. I'll take water. You water drinkers are out there. There's, that's a good thing. I like that. I, I, like, uh, I like a good, good cold glass of water. My, my wife's got one of those Stanley cups now, and every day she fills that thing up with some ice and some cold water, and she walks around and takes that with her, and she's drinking a whole lot more water, and that's a, that's a good thing. But we also have the water snobs amongst us. You know? I will drink Clover Valley water. I just will. And only the people that shop at Dollar General got that. But there is some waters out there that not all water is created equal. I looked it up. There are, somebody, somebody want to guess, you think it's over 100, uh, over 50 or under 50, the, the different varieties of bottled water that are out there in the United States. Who says under? Uh, okay, got one. One that's willing to say, I don't care if everybody else. Maybe you're just going against the, 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 the grain here, brother. He, he's just like, I, uh, nobody else says, I'll say it. I'm not afraid to say it. There are more than 80 different varieties of bottled water in the United States alone. You can get the pretty stuff in the Fiji bottled water. You know, uh, those. Uh, as a man, I cannot... In good conscience, walk around with a bottle of Fiji water. I just can't do it. All flowered up and pretty. It does taste good. I'll give it that. There are some that I like just a little bit more than others, and there's a reason for that. I I, I have a, a certain taste, you know, and 
And uh, some of the waters that come, they put them in the bottle. They taste more like the bottle than they do the spring they came out of. I don't know what that's all about, but but there are different places that you can go and get water. I have stopped alongside the roads and, and gotten water out of this thing that they said, oh, this is, I think it was called Catholic Springs. Anybody ever heard of that? It's up north of here, kind of uh, probably an hour and a half. And it was on my old FedEx route a long time ago. And one day I thought, you know what? I'm just going to bring me a bottle of water and I'm going to stop there. I, I could see where it trickled out every every uh you know every day that i pass by and it would come out of this this white plastic pipe and lord have mercy i could have been getting like field runoff i don't know what it was somebody sticks a sign there and i'm like oh everybody else looks like they're drinking it's it's good it was terrible terrible it's got good mineral content i don't care it tasted terrible one time i took a little drink and i was like that is it 2 Samuel chapter 23 tells us the story. The Bible says David longed. It's one thing to want something. It's another thing to long for something. When you long for something, it really doesn't go away. You know, you, you, you really, mm, that sounded good yesterday. I woke up this morning. It still sounds good. And a week from now, it's still, oh, I just long for that. David longed and said, oh, that one would give me a drink of the water of the well of Bethlehem, which is by the gate. And the three mighty men, they break through the host of the Philistines and drew water out of the well of Bethlehem that was by the gate and took it and brought it to David. Nevertheless, he would not drink thereof. Now, I don't know how I would have felt about that, to be honest with you. But what was taking place was David had such a deep respect for the risk that they took and for these three men and what they did to honor him that he looked at that water, the Bible says, as if it were blood. And he poured it out unto the Lord and said, Be it far from me, O Lord, that I should do this. Is not this the blood of the men that went in jeopardy of their lives? Therefore, he would not drink it. These things did these three mighty men. They went without saying a word. David, of course, if you know a little bit about the history of David, he grew up in the town of Bethlehem. I grew up in the town of Pinckneyville, nothing like Bethlehem. But I grew up in a day and an age where my grandparents still had wells, and I would go and drink from those wells, and I can remember the well out of my great-grandmother's house, and and dipping the, the the ladle down into that well, you had your choice. You could either, they had a, a, a ladle on a string or they had a bucket on a string, and you could lower the either one of those down and, and get that water and bring it up and have a cool, refreshing, and the taste of that well was like no other water around. It was, it was refreshing, it was just the right temperature, not too cold where it hurt your teeth, but cold enough that on a hot day it was just exactly what you wanted. And the, the flavor of that water, although everybody says, that's just water. No, water tastes different, and the taste of that water was so good. David looked at the well of Bethlehem, and he said, oh, that I could have a drink from the well, not just any well, but the well of Bethlehem, the well that I grew up with, the well from the town that I was raised in. No doubt that his parents got water from that well. His ancestors 
drew water out of that well. David, in his younger years, you know there were times that mom and dad sent him down to the well to bring some water back home. David, maybe on a hot day out playing with friends or whatever it was that he did, or after a hard day out taking care of the sheep, maybe came in and drank from that well of Bethlehem. And it was at this time when it was nowhere near and it was overrun by his enemies that David found himself longing not just for a drink to quench his thirst, but a drink that would take him back to the place that he grew up in, a drink that would remind him of how beautiful it was to drink of that well of Bethlehem. It would not be so. Now years have gone by. He's no longer living there. The country is at war. Philistines have overrun Bethlehem. David possibly can see the destruction from where he's camped of this town that he grew up in. It's possible that even his boyhood home lay in destruction. The town was changing. It was overrun by people that did not love him. He could no longer walk down the streets and go to that well and get a drink anytime he wanted to. Now it was guarded heavily by his enemies. It's amazing to me that these men admired and loved him so much that all he had to do was just mention it and they were on their way. In our house, I don't know how your house is, but in our house, all my grandsons that are here today, they might want to plug their ears. I don't want to tell the secret away, but I'm about ready. All they have to do is mention something. Oh, we had this the other day, and it was so good. And guess what? Magic, magically is not the right word, but, but just, uh, just the next time they're there, it's just it, it's in our refrigerator. All they have to do, if they think, think it out loud, they're not asking us to go buy it. They're simply just mentioning, mentioning what it is that, that's on their mind, what it is that sounds good, what it is that they like and enjoy and taste it. And all of a sudden, their grandmother runs out to the store and she says, by the time they get back, I can't tell you how many times we'll make a trip to Walmart because the, the next day the grandkids are coming over and we want to make sure or she wants to make sure that those grandkids have the very thing that they merely suggested that they liked. They, they don't twist her arm. They don't have to beg or grovel. They don't even have to be good. They can act like a pack of ravenous wolves all day long, and that stuff still winds up in our house. Because she loves them so much. And that's what we're talking about here. David doesn't come off with some suggestion like, oh, I'm going to drop a little hint right here and see if anybody picks up on it. I would absolutely love, wink, wink, to have a drink from the waters of Bethlehem, from the well of Bethlehem. I wonder if there's anybody that loves me enough that they would risk their ever-loving life to go down there and get me a drink when it's surrounded by all of our enemies. We'll see who's going to be the next general. Let's see who we're going to have to manipulate here. No, David just offhandedly makes a comment without any expectations. Oh, I wish I had a drink from the waters of Bethlehem. 
The well in Bethlehem is so good. They don't even get his permission. The Bible doesn't say that any of them say, oh, we'll go get that for you. No, 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 no. No, really, we don't mind. No, don't, don't go through any. No, they just get up and do it. David simply uttering what is in his mind. He's been over every inch of that country. Lord knows he knows where the water spots are at. He's had to hide out in enough places. He's had water from hundreds of wells in his lifetime, but the only one that would truly satisfy him is the water from the well of Bethlehem. Just put that in a and your memory bank right there. There's others that may quench his thirst, but they're, they're not really any match for the waters that come from the well of Bethlehem. The only one that I want right now is the water from the well found by the gate in Bethlehem. Read the writings of David, and you'll find a man who knew what it was to have a deep, unquenchable thirst for God. Psalms 23.1, the Lord is my shepherd, I shall not want. He makes me to lie down in green pastures. He leadeth me beside the still water. Psalms 42 says, <clears throat> as the heart panteth after the water brook, so panteth my soul after thee, O God. My soul thirsts for you, God, for the living God. When shall I come and appear before him? Here we have scriptures that tell us just, just how ravenously thirsty David is for the presence of God in his life. Psalm 63 tells us when he's in the wilderness of Judah, O God, thou art my God. Early will I seek thee, my soul, what? Thirsted for thee. God, I am hungry. I must have you. I'm thirsty for you. My soul thirsteth for thee. My flesh longs for thee in a dry and thirsty land where no water is. Because of the deep love and respect for their leader, he simply utters a thought and they respond. They rush from the camp on a what most would call a fool's errand. What do you guys do? You trying to get yourself killed? Our king our king wants something. We're going to do everything in our power to make sure our king gets exactly what he wants. There's water here. You know, for crying out loud, we're, we're in a battle. And it's not like you're going 50 miles out of your way into a safe land. You're going right into the heart of the enemy. doesn't matter. The king wants what the king wants. They break through the Philistine defenses, bring back a drink of water. The bravery and sacrifice is so precious that David counts the water as blood. Hmm. Interesting. He pours it out as a sacrificial offering. The water that he considers blood. And at the end of his life, this is the event that is at the forethoughts of his mind. 
He's remembering back to a day when three men risked their life to simply bring him something he was longing for. David probably had no idea that he was speaking and acting prophetically. He couldn't have known that the prophets who ministered to Israel years later would speak of the visitation of God as a river or a fountain or a pool or a spring or a stream or a well. Isaiah tells us when the poor and needy seek water, there is none, and their tongue faileth the thirst. I, the Lord, will hear them. I, the God of Israel, will not forsake them. I will open rivers in high places and fountains in the midst of the valleys. I will make the wilderness a pool of water and the dry land springs of water. He goes on in 35, and he says, Then shall the lame man leap as a heart and the tongue of the dumb sing, for in the wilderness shall waters break out and streams in the desert, and the parched ground shall become a pool and thirsty land, springs of water. Isaiah 12 and 3 says, Therefore will joy uh, with joy shall ye draw water out of the wells of salvation. And once again, symbolically, we're going back to a place where there is a well that had been dug for a people to live and get their thirstiness quenched. God called David a man after mine own heart. Why? Why do you think that is? Because he was perfect? No, because we obviously know the man was not perfect. Because he was handsome? No, God looks on the, the inside of a man, a man's heart, not on the outside. We, we found that out when he was looking for a king because there were others that were more qualified just from the outside. No, none of those reasons, but, but God chose him, and God loved him, and God called him a man after his own heart because even when David fell and fell flat on his face, even when he suffered defeat, he would always come back around with an unquenchable thirst for the things of God. Oh, God, my heart pants after you. God, I'm in the midst of trouble. I'm in a dark place. I don't feel you any way around, but I still know that I need to draw waters out of the well springs. I need you, God, more than I need breath itself. How does that fit in for me today? We're not Old Testament. David's been dead for 3,000 years. Here's the parallel today. The gospel is the well of Bethlehem. And Jesus is the water that's in that well. And he himself is the water. That's why Jesus could say in John, but whosoever drinketh the water that I shall give him shall never thirst, but the water that I shall give him shall be in him a well of water springing up into everlasting life. John chapter 7, verse 38 says, He that believeth on me, as the scripture hath said, out of his belly shall flow rivers of living water. Amen. This dwell in Bethlehem, amen, 
that David want was a physical well with physical water, but there was another well that was dug a long time in Bethlehem, about a thousand years after David longed for the well that his men went and tried to get him a drink of water from. And this well was not in the center of town, but this well was dug in a lowly manger as a babe was born, surrounded by animals, surrounded by uh, shepherds and, and things that were taking place all around. No pomp and circumstance, just a lowly manger. But in that lowly manger, there was somebody, something digging a well. There was a well that was going to be dug that day that all men could have their spiritual quench, uh, thirst quenched. And there, that well was Jesus Christ. Friend, and if you don't know him, you need to know him. If you don't have that well life springing up inside of you, you need to have the spirit of God dwelling inside of you. The angels wanted to drink of this water so bad, but God said, no, this water's not for you. This water's for the redeemed. This water's for the redeemed. I dug this well for people like David who have an unquenchable thirst for me. The music would come today. We've kind of gotten away from asking people, who all needs the Holy Ghost in here? We don't like to make people stand out. I'm not going to do that today. But you know who you are. And those that are in this place that have received the baptism of the Holy Ghost, evidenced by speaking in other tongues as the Spirit gave them utterance, not something that man has taught them to do. But the Spirit of God gives the ability, gives the utterance, places the word inside the heart. I'm telling you today is the day of salvation. If you've never experienced that well is still open, and it will remain open until the return of Jesus Christ, and then that well will be shut. That could be a long way away. Jesus came 2,000 years ago. He told them, tarry in Jerusalem until I, uh, you know, until you be endued with power. I'm coming back. And they've been preaching that message for a long time. Preacher, let me tell you something. Look around you. Look at what's going on. Keep your eyes over on Israel. God is winding this thing down. And there's coming a day when that well is going to close up and no longer will it be offered to mankind. But today, you can still get your drink from that that well. Well, I've heard stories. People laugh. Well, people laughing at me. I there's all kinds of belief systems. There's all kinds of different roads that lead us. There's books out and people that are, you know famous on TV and they all got their ideas and, and they, they put these things out and people just flock to them by droves because we want choices. But, but Jesus only gave us one choice. He said, I am the way, I am the truth, and I am the life. Any man that tries to get to heaven any other way is like a thief and a robber. We know no thieves and no robbers are going to enter therein. 
I'm not trying to be hard and harsh. I'm trying to give you the facts. I don't want you to be confused. I don't want you to go out and say, oh, all I have to do is believe. Yes, belief is where it all begins, but there is a process that that belief ought to bring you to, and that's the Acts 2.38 salvation message. Amen. Repent of your sins. Simply all that is is saying, I'm sorry, but we have a lot of trouble doing that, don't we? Apologies are hard to come by. And that stems all the way back to what Brother Jones said in his lesson this morning. We don't want to own our mistakes. And so we just tuck them away someplace under a safe little spot, and we fold them up, and we stick them in our pocket, and we pretend they didn't happen, we go on in life. But you only have so many pockets, friend. At some point, you got to clean out your pockets, or you're going to be dragging some stuff around you don't be dragging around. Repentance is simply having the courage to go to the Lord and say, I'm, I'm sorry. And I've made mistakes. I've failed. And I'm tired of trying to hide it from a God that knows everything that there is to know already. <laughs> we really do have a lot in common with Adam and Eve. You think God said, where are you? Because he didn't know where they were. You, didn't, you think he asked them what they had done if they eaten, had eaten of the tree because he didn't know? No, he was trying to lead them to a place of repentance. Trying to get them to verbalize what they had done so that they could make some things right. But they refused. That ain't my fault. Mm-mm-mm. She made me do it. He made me do it. A snake made me do it. I, everybody's, well, God, God, the woman that you gave me, that, that full circle, everybody but, but me. Why is it so hard to just go to God and admit that we're broken and that we need him? I'm telling you, it's the first road to getting healed. It's the first road to a better life. Don't listen to all the people that say, oh, that well dried up a long time ago. That well that was opened up and dug in Bethlehem, that was only for the apostles. That was, that was for them people back there. Nobody does that anymore. You don't have to do those things anymore. The water, that, that water's not fit to drink. Those people that still believe that, they're old and outdated and antiquated. And that's something. All you have to do, come up here and shake my hand, fill out this little card, say this little prayer, and you're saved. But is that what the Bible says? When I stand before him on that day, I have, I'm going to be held accountable not just for myself and my action, but for how I lead this church. The words that I speak to this church, was it just a, a morning when I got up and kind of patted folks along and said, hey, you know, this is good enough. I'll give you a part of the answer. We're not going to worry about so much of the other because it's, I'll have to sweat a little bit and 
I have to call for an altar call, and we may have to work a little bit alongside him. And things may not get 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 better all, all overnight. We may have to we may have to struggle at this thing. For no, I'm going to stand here and say, Lord, I, I preached them the truth. I love them enough to tell them the full story, not just a partial part of it. Because you can take any sentence out of a book and at any point in a story, even a chapter, and there are places where it seems like everything is going haywire and the hero is going to die and, and, and things are being threatened and everything is going to fall apart. It's only when you read the entire story that you see at the end of that story that everything works out. I want your story to work out in the end. I can't promise you today is going to be great. I can't promise you ne next week you're not going to have problems. But what I can promise you, if you follow the word of God and you get a drink from the well of Bethlehem, Jesus Christ, and you follow that Acts 2.38 message and repent of your and baptize in the name of Jesus Christ and in of his spirit, amen, that God will let you win. You will not suffer a final eternal defeat, but you will enjoy the benefits of heaven for eternity. Stand with me today. There's one other lie that's out there. Oh, one water is as good as the next. One water. You know why I drink this water a lot, a lot of times? Because it's cheap. Just being honest. It's cheap. I can put up with a, a water that doesn't taste quite as good. It's cheap. Don't settle for cheap religion. Right. Don't settle for a cheap halfway their relationship with God. You're going to spend money for the rest of your life. And we're willing to go out and drop sixty and $70,000 on a vehicle, a hundred and some odd thousand dollars on a house. Amen. We'll, we'll go down and spend 50 and $60 going down to get a, a, a steak meal someplace on a nice, nice evening out. We'll, we'll spend money and money, money, money. But when it comes to God, no, 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 I think this is good enough. And I'm not talking about what you throw in the offering plate. I'm talking about just your way of living. God gets the leftovers. God gets what I don't want. God gets, you know, uh, what, what, what I have left behind. If there's time at the end of the day, or, or if, I, if I have a little time left, or it's convenient to make it to church, or, or do what, what, what needs to be done around the house of God, if, if I can work it in, no, no, give God your best. Give God your best. There's coming a great revival. But there's also coming, the Bible says it, not me, a great falling away. Don't let an offense cause you to be a part of the falling away. Amen. Make your salvation election sure. Because in the last days, saith God, I will pour out my spirit upon all flesh. This, this well is going to overflow. It's going to overflow. A wellspring of living water.
springing up. I want the Holy Ghost to not just be in me. I want it to ooze out of me. I want it to pour out of me. I want my words to be laced with his spirit. I want my actions to show the love of God. I want to walk like Paul walked. People be able to just feel the difference, something about them. Not something that's scary or ooey or creepy or weird out, but just to know or feel the, the, the power and the presence of Almighty God. A sense of peace sense of satisfaction salt it makes them thirsty for what a drink from the well of Bethlehem I wonder today it's not even not even noon yet I wonder if you've got too much to do to take some time in prayer I wonder if you got your agenda already scheduled for the day and you're looking at your watch saying, oh, we're going to get out a little early today and we can get headed out. I can still, still be home in time to do this and this. Or as we bow our heads and close our eyes, I wonder today if there's anybody here that would just take a little time out of your schedule. Come up to this altar for a drink from the well of Bethlehem. See, there's a lot of things that you want to quench your thirst with today and a lot of things that you can satisfy part of your thirst with today and they can make you feel good and they can make you feel accomplished, but there is only one well of Bethlehem. There's only one thing that can satisfy the thirst that's going on inside of your soul and your spirit right now. That's a touch from Jesus Christ. I want to open this altar up to you today. I beg you if I felt like it made a difference, but the thirsty will come. The thirsty will find a place. Those that are thirsty, you know that there's only one thing that's going to satisfy you. As they begin to sing this song, I invite you. Thank you for listening. Special thanks to those that give generously to this ministry. If you would like more information, please visit our website at landmarkapostolicchurch.net. But have a great day and God bless.